0: Welcome to the M&A CornerCast, a podcast focused on the world of mergers and acquisitions, helping inform the business owners and advisors we work with every day. I'm your host, Chuck Dallas. I have more than 10 years of experience with mergers and acquisitions, both from a corporate perspective and as an outside advisor. Today, we welcome Leroy Matuzak. He is just newly hired as our Senior Vice President here at Cornerstone Business Services. Leroy is a longtime friend of mine and very happy that he was able to join Cornerstone. Welcome, Leroy.
1: Well, thanks, Chuck. It's happy. I'm happy to be here.
0: Thank you. Now, I know that you're somewhat new. You've just been here for a little bit, but you're not new to the merger and acquisition world, are you?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I've been... In public accounting for almost 40 years, and during that time, especially in the last 10 years that I was in public accounting, heavily involved in transactions, especially of uh, firm clients. Okay. You know, that's, that's what I've spent a lot of work on.
0: So you've worked in a lot of different industries, uh, a lot of different clients that, that used to come to your firm right. at that time period.
1: At the end of 2018, uh, I retired from the CPA firm.
0: So you've been working with business owners and advising them through different business transitions for quite a while. And how does your experience as a CPA help you inform the way you advise and work alongside business owners, Leroy?
1: As uh, in my background in public accounting, I was very involved in audit and tax work and in uh, preparation of financial statements. I'm acutely um, aware of the importance of accurate and timely financial statements and also how important they are in a deal. And um, I work, uh, you know, I've prepared many different financial statements for many different industries. I've worked with many small business owners. I understand the anxiety that they go through when deciding to sell their business. And also the uh, the pressures that they incurred during the uh, process of selling a business
0: what you have probably witnessed what we see in this industry is that their financial statements weren't probably set up to sell the business they, they just run their financials and and now it's it's being viewed under a different set of eyes
1: well you're absolutely correct you know in in small business in the middle market area. You know, most businesses are run with the tax a- aspect in mind. Right. The driving forces to lower taxable income. Right. And in reality, in the selling of a business, uh, you'd like to have obviously higher income. Exactly. And uh, and that uh, you know there therein lies the rub. It, you got to work through that.
0: Right. Yeah. The profitability and cash flow means so much more in the M and A world right. than in the income tax world. That is great. Well, you know, in in terms of deal structure considerations, you know, are there certain strategies that business owners can look at ahead of time to maximize their business value?
1: When it comes to deal structure, I think the best thing a business owner can do is is to understand the implications of the structure and the tax ramifications that go with it. You know, for example, uh, there's basically two... Models uh, for selling a business: one is a stock sale, and one is an asset sale. Right. Each of them comes with their own different, uh, uh, unique tax uh, situation. The sale of stock, generally, as as the current tax law stands, is is a gain as a capital gain, which is a more attractive rate. Right. Uh, it, with an asset sale, it'll have uh, it can have a component of ordinary gain. Which is a sale of the equipment, and it can have a, a component of capital gain, which would be uh, the sale of the goodwill. Uh, the real estate is uh, the gain on the real estate can be capital, it also can be uh, at a 25% rate. The The structure is, is important for the business owner to understand what's the tax implication of the structure. Now, as far as planning goes, uh, that's a little difficult uh, because. Um, the buyer is going to come to the table with the structure that they want to uh, implement in the acquisition, and the seller is basically reactionary to that decision. Um, Now, the one thing a business could do to plan for a potential sale is if they are a C corporation, which is a corporation that is taxed upon itself, uh, they could uh, consult with their CPA and convert to an S-corporation if they met all the requirements. Um, An S-corporation, a qualified S-corporation's tax implications on an asset sale are much more attractive than a C-corp.
0: You know, we've said that in, in other sessions that we've recorded, Leroy, but it's so important to bring in a solid CPA firm, CPA that you trust and want to work with, to really evaluate the tax implications of your sale, isn't
1: it? Oh, you're absolutely right, Chuck. The, you know, like I would always tell uh, clients, it's not the top line; it's the bottom line. Right. And uh, the taxes and uh, the payment of debt are, are two very big components in a, in a transaction. And I try to get to my clients early on in the in the discussions uh, what their uh, potential walkaway cash would be in a transaction. Because um, again, uh, the way the, the deal is structured can have a significant impact on the net proceeds to the seller.
0: It's something you don't want to sweep underneath the carpet and say, well, I'm going to sell my business and I'm just going to be done with this. And then as you're stating, all of a sudden, Ooh, okay, I paid the bank back. Now I got to pay my taxes. Well, oh, there's not much left over. That's right. So yes. so it really needs to be taken into consideration when you're looking at selling your business early on I am happy with that price or this is what I need to get
1: well you're right you know it, you don't want to wait till uh, near the end of the of the negotiations or the transaction to find out that uh, right. you're not walking away with much money <laughs> right. uh, that, that's something you need to know up front and you can make a heads up decision on whether you wish to proceed
0: right that's why it's uh, key for us at Cornerstone to have you come on board with us because you have that type of background, and you could share that. And you have a network of folks that you work with, both on the legal side and the accounting side, to help clients with that.
1: Oh yeah, it's you know as you said earlier the the importance of the team, the importance of uh, having uh, team members that uh, have been through this before, that understand the process. Um, that uh, know where the bodies are buried as far as an agreement goes right I, I think that's uh, it's, it's well worth the price tag.
0: yep yep. you know one of the things I want to kind of go on your experience that you've had out here but you know in the a world we throw around the terms caps and baskets. and how does that come into play Leroy when you're looking at an M&A transaction?
1: well it's the the cap is what's known as an indemnification cap. And the basket is, as it states, it's a it's a basket. Or you one could look at it almost as a deductible. But let's let's talk about the indemnification uh, cap first. Okay. In all the deals I've ever been involved in, there's been a a section in the purchase agreement that discusses the cap. And what the cap is is basically what the buyer could be indemnified for if there was a breach in the purchase agreement and basically the main area would be if there was fraud if the seller was not up front and truthful in their representations and, and warranties in the purchase agreement the indemnification cap allows the buyer to come back after the seller and be indemnified for the breach now the indemnification is usually stated as a percentage of the purchase price now in my experience i've seen anywhere from uh, 30 percent of the purchase price uh, to 100 percent of the purchase price Uh, i've also seen some agreements that didn't even mention an indemnification cap Uh, in those cases i would insist that something be put in the agreement but basically to give you an example If a business was sold for $10 million and the uh, uh, paragraph in the purchase agreement stated that the indemnification cap was 80% of the purchase price, the buyer could come back to the seller for 80% of the $10 million. In my personal experience, I have never ever had a transaction that has gone sideways and has uh, it has elicited the implication of the uh, of the indemnification cap
0: right well and, and it's it's serious when it's there in the agreement and you see those type of dollars that you would have to pay out at, at that point in time you're you're in it to, uh, to finish it
1: well yeah and, and when when i would do my deals uh, you know, I'd look at the indemnification cap, especially if they were asking for a hundred percent back. Right. And you know i i would I would go no more uh, than seventy uh, percent just because uh, the the seller has already incurred the income tax expense on the transaction that right. money's gone the yep. government ain't going to send it back right yeah. uh, you know with with uh with uh, a bank uh, paying back debt and so on you've got the opportunity to go back to the bank right and but but i mean uh uh you know to to sign an agreement that would indemnify the seller i mean the the buyer to 100 percent uh it, it, you know is 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 uh is pretty high Con- right. considering also the buyers also do due diligence exactly they hire people to come in and, and look over the books and so on now again if there's fraud uh, that's you know uh, yep. you know shame on the uh on the seller that's yes, exactly. th- that they, they they're getting what they deserve you know it's it's important for the for the seller to understand that this is part of the agreement, and it is a negotiating point, and they have to understand their ultimate liability should there be something that uh, they've they've breached in the agreement.
0: You're right. It's it's part of why you use we'll come back to that team, a professional team, to help you with this, oh, absolutely. because really, um, not that we can catch all fraud that's out there, but for the most part, uh, you'll have little signs that'll stick out as to things may not be perfect here
1: right and well and 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 you know there is no perfect company the the purchase agreement will go through representations and warranties of the seller it's imperative that each of those representations and warranties are answered you know, honestly and accurately, right. and the schedules that are provided uh, based on those represent, uh, representations and warranties also need to be accurate, and and that's that's where the seller can get themselves in trouble. They right. need they need to be upfront and and uh, and honest in, in the preparation of the agreement.
0: Yeah, as as painful it is as it is to read through the whole agreement, it you need to yes. you need to as as a seller as a buyer. Of course your professional team will be looking at it as well but for some folks it's like boy this is a lot of legal uh, legal beagle stuff I don't even want to mess with all of it you have to read through it
1: well you have to understand it and yep. and uh, you know I mean I've I've known many sellers of businesses that didn't read the whole document but they've hired the people uh, that they trust uh, and hold their interest at heart to read the document and educate them on the uh, on all the stipulations in the agreement So what about the basket side? Well, the basket's an interesting concept. Uh, Basically, the basket is used by the buyer to accumulate costs that they incur after the transaction that probably are expenses of the seller. Okay. For example, uh, uh, if there was a leaky roof or something like that in the in the building that they acquired, and the uh, uh, seller represented that the roof was fine, sure. uh, you know, there's there's the potential for the the buyer to go back after the seller. Well, the basket is usually stated in at a at a certain dollar amount. And let's use fifty thousand dollars for example. Okay, the basket being $50,000 would accumulate all these expenses that the buyer incurred uh, post-transaction and and they would keep track of them and they would keep track of them for six months or a year. And if the expenses that the buyer incurred did not go beyond the $50,000, then everything's fine. Okay, the deal's fine. There's no money to change hands because you've got this basket. Right. Now, it's important to understand that there are two types of baskets, okay? Okay. There's one called a true basket. And what a true basket is, is, again, using my $50,000 example, that basket being $50,000, if the buyer goes beyond that $50,000 and can prove the expenses they would be compensated from the seller for the amount of money that they incurred or costs they incurred beyond $50,000. So in my example, $50,000 basket, the buyer incurs $80,000 of expense, they come back to the seller for $30,000. Sure, okay. All right, That's, that's the true basket. Now the other basket's what's known a tipping basket. And the tipping basket basically says that you would have the same $50,000 basket that I had in my first example. But if your expenses went beyond that 50000 then the buyer could come back after you all the way back to dollar $1.00. Uh, sure. So, for example, if it's a $50,000 basket, they incur $40,000 in expenses. There's no harm, no fall. But in the tipping basket, if you go past the $50,000, and let's say you go to that $80,000 figure that I used in my first example, the buyer then could go back after the seller for $80,000. Not the okay. difference between fifty and eighty, the whole right. eighty. That's what's known as a tipping basket. Okay. Um, now the I have seen the tipping basket in in agreements, but I've I've uh, it's it's been in very limited situations. For the most part, I've always just seen true baskets.
0: Yeah, well, and and it's it's really there as kind of a, a safety net per se, but you do have to look at it that due diligence process. You have to take that serious yeah. and do a good job with your due diligence. Yeah, I
1: look at I look at the basket as kind of like uh, we're not going to argue over nickels and dimes, right? Okay, I mean things are going to happen post closing, yep. And uh, uh, you know we're not going to we're not going to call a meeting every time we've incurred five hundred dollars or something like that. Uh, In a transaction, right? You know, because stuff is going to happen. So let's let's have a basket, and you know, and and as as the seller, you need to understand what your basket is, or or what the agreement states. Now, you know, in 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 the world of negotiation, from the seller side, we want a low cap, right? We want a low uh, indemnification cap, and we want a high basket, yeah. Okay, right. Because we don't want to be caught short. In either situation, yeah, it's a uh, you know there 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 are statistics out there that say it, uh, you know indemnification cap. It's interesting because the smaller the deal, the higher the indemnification is. Uh, uh, sure. <clears throat> you know the yeah. cap is. It's just the way it is. Uh, you know I was reading an article here recently that said on deals that are seventy five thousand, or seventy five million and below. Um, you know the indemnification cap average is about wow. 80 yeah. percent. Um, now on, on deals that are a hundred million dollars and above the indemnification you know averages 10 to 20 percent. Huh. So I think the inference is is that the smaller deals uh, there may be more nooks and crannies that aren't investigated. Right. And uh, and, and so on. Uh uh, where um, uh, the bigger deals, uh, they, they you know they may be more on the up and up. Right. Uh, in in the basket area, it's generally a percentage of the deal. Uh, but I would say you know fifty to a hundred thousand dollars, I would expect in in any deals that are ranging from uh, you know four million to ten million something like that. Right. <clears throat> it, it wouldn't surprise me a fifty to a hundred grand. Uh, basket would be appropriate.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, when I was a, a buyer for the company that I worked for back in the day, when I was doing the due diligence, I, I would really look for what needed to happen. Because my fear was if I had to go out and buy a new fleet of vehicles, I had to go to the board of directors and ask them for approval on that. And what do you mean? We just bought this thing a year ago, and now you're asking for a fleet of vehicles. You need to bring that to the attention of management and your board, that uh, there could be some cash outlays oh, in yeah. what you're doing.
1: Oh, and and you know it's it it is interesting, especially in industries that that have a lot of equipment. The, from the buyer's perspective, they need to make sure that what they're buying is going to run the day after the deal closes, right? Or it's going to um, uh, it's going to run presumably into the future. You know, the seller. It's hard sometimes to be able to represent that your equipment is in in great shape, right. Uh, you know we would always use what's known as a knowledge qualifier, basically saying that to the best of the owner's ability yep. believes that this equipment and so on is in good operating condition. right You know he can't know what he doesn't know exactly. and uh, you know we would we would argue for a knowledge qualifier. Uh, you know, sometimes we'd get it, sometimes we wouldn't. But uh, there, you know, there's also ways to handle this. Uh, uh, you know, as far as uh, holdbacks and things like that in transactions. You know, to make sure that uh, that something doesn't uh, blow up after the deal, and the money is set aside in trust. You know, in order to be able to, or escrow in
0: order to be able to get it. Well, Leroy, I'm. A- impressed we didn't have to censor one one bit in our recording here if leroy and i were having cigars and whiskey this may be a different conversation um but uh, it, well, it would be a lot more lively uh, yes exactly maybe we'll have that as a session coming up let us know as listeners but uh, i am so happy that you're part of the cornerstone team uh your experience that you bring to the firm is fantastic and look forward to working with you on on projects in the future well
1: chuck i couldn't be happier i i uh, you've got a great group of people here uh the team is uh energetic and ready
0: to work and again i made a fine decision Thank you for tuning in to the M&A CornerCast. Hopefully we gave you some insight into the world of mergers and acquisitions. We'll see you back again next Thursday with a brand new episode.